Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Michael Janoff. I'm Lee Jo John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, you love machines and you sneaky snakes. How's it going? Today, we are talking about Episode 7, Heavy Metal Queen. Oh, who are we? We're Bebop Tabletop. That's right. With me, as always, are Michael and Lee Joe. How are you guys doing? Doing great. This isn't a blues episode. This is not blues at all. We are going hard. We are going rock. We are going very relaxing, apparently. So that's... <laughs> this week, we are we're introduced to a very fun character. Uh, this episode, actually, is one that I remember very well. Like, even though it's been probably more than a decade since I've seen this episode, I remember this character. I remember several story beats from this episode, or little things that have happened. I, unfortunately, did not remember Zeros. That is something that surprised me. I didn't remember the cat. It's a darn shame. How dare you? Yeah. Zeros It's the best the... character in this episode, yep. and it's <laughs> full of great characters. <laughs> I, I, did, I did like VT in this episode, the, our, our space trucker. Definitely some of the more memorable, uh, you know, throwaway characters in this episode. I would say, would you watch an entire spin-off anime just about VT the Trucker? Maybe if it was eight episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so Netflix, we're going to watch a, we're going to pitch, now. we're pitching right now to Netflix a limited series, VT the Trucker, Space Trucker episode. It takes place in the Cowboy Bebop universe. We're expanding this out, the... The CBCU. So. You speak as if uh, Ice Road Truckers and other uh, themed Ooh. trucking shows aren't... Uh... Asteroid Truckers! Yeah. That's a whole thing! That is a whole thing. <laughs> All right, if this becomes a real thing, credit us. Just just remember where you heard it first. Bebop Tabletop. <laughs> Interstellar Truckers and Bebop, apparently. All right, are you guys ready for that summary? Oh, yeah. Let's get it. Hit me with that summary. Spike, hungover in a diner bathroom, meets VT, the interstellar trucker known as the Heavy Metal Queen. After a scrap with the Something Brothers, she becomes friendly with Spike, until he turns out to be a low-life bounty hunter scum. Meanwhile, Faye mistakes an eel for a dragon, and Decker, their 12 million Wulong target, gets away. VT makes amends, thanks to Zeros, her cat, then decides to chase down Decker herself, calling the Bebop as a favor. Decker blows himself up, trapping everyone inside an abandoned space mine. An explosive gamble, Spike's floating act, and Zero's cat grip ensure that everyone gets out safe. So we talked a little bit about how cool VT was. Uh, in, we didn't talk about how VT's got that whole name thing, right? Everybody in the it's galaxy, universe, interstellar system is trying to guess what her name is. So something that I thought of every time that somebody asked her was how do you know she's telling the truth? I guess it's just a, a you just trust her, right? <laughs> I mean, I think you just base it off straight to character, right? She definitely doesn't seem the type to lie. And I mean, uh, the thing that I was always, you know, boggles my mind is like, she's not spending the money. She's clearly acquired this money over, you know, God knows how long, and she's not spending it, which is, I guess, maybe, maybe she enjoys the game. Who knows? Yeah, she could also be lying. Who knows? 
Well, she got that many people to uh, give her enough money to get that fat stack of cash. So apparently, someone, a couple people, think she's trustworthy. Yeah, they keep trying. They keep. Maybe this is just evidence that the Bebop universe just loves to gamble. <laughs> There's been a Here's lot a of game. gambling in this show. Yeah, <laughs> and there may be gambling in our system too. Oh, because we roll the dice. It makes sense. People love gambling. We love gambling. It's fun. <laughs> What else in this episode? There was, yeah, we we get introduced to some other weird characters. Uh, Muriel, I liked Muriel. Was uh, kind of the ditzy waitress, right? The the something brothers were what were what were their actual names? You you mentioned it just before we were the Memphis brothers. Credited the Memphis at the brothers. end and never mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, the the something brothers. Yeah, um, they're all wearing ponchos and are Mexican hats, right? They were full stereotype at that point. And with a very terrible, uh, you know, Mexican accent, I think, if I remember correctly. Oh, or, I didn't even, if, probably, yeah, I just, like, filtered it out, because I'm like, nope, not going to engage with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm making excuses. There, there are actually quite a few different, you know, visible bounty hunters. Uh, like, there's definitely multiple different types there, and I, when they get mm-hmm. into the bar fight, very visually appealing. And heck, even um, our, our, our eel lover, the guy, Faye Mistakes... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's he's definitely a striking figure. Not quite as uh, interesting as our boy Decker, but it's, at least everybody there has you know a very unique and very like easy to pick up style. I do wonder. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that Decker is very clearly a Woody Allen reference. Like it's it, kind of the squirrely guy that's <laughs> you know, probably can't take a punch, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But apparently, he is an explosives expert, uh, or at least he's hauling explosives, right? Yeah. What did you guys think about the the design of those explosives themselves? It seemed, uh, seemed like not the thing you just want to be carrying around. They mentioned that it was pressure sensitive. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it looks like he was just yanking them out of his pocket, which seemed like a poor choice. <laughs> I feel like like if he just like tripped on a rock, it would have triggered all of those bombs in his pockets. He, he made a lot of very sudden movements. Uh, sudden and jarring movements for a man carrying uh, explosives that apparently uh, are that sensitive. So we're going to talk about a new section of our podcast here. Over the last couple of weeks, we've started discussing the kind of the, the skeleton, the bones of our new game. And the specifically the encounter, what do we call it? The encounter tracks? The... We should come up with a real name, right? Encounter tracks? Does that sound good? Uh, I, I have in my notes motivation trackers, but... Motivation uh, trackers. It li- okay, I like that. Okay, I could yeah. use some more flair, but... We'll, we'll give it a musical term at some point. That's the thing. If you're listening to this and you have a good idea, I'm going to pitch right now for the first time ever. Reach out to us at Bebop Tabletop on Twitter. Drop us a name. What sounds better than motivation trackers? Something that tracks progress throughout an encounter. I kind of want a jazzy word. Yeah, bonus points if you can find some sort of musical term. We do want to incorporate the jazz somehow, so we gotta we gotta figure that out. But you know, obviously, we can't resist a pun. So mm. get at us. Bonus points for puns, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's we're putting that in the rules. That goes in the rules immediately. <laughs> Every pun you make, one point on the motivation tracker. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bonus. Uh, so. We're going to take our motivation trackers and we're going to break down one scene from this episode with our system as it stands and see how such a game might play, both from players' perspectives and from the DM's perspective. 
So I think for, in this case, we're going to break down the asteroid chase scene with Decker. For those who aren't aware, I think we just a real quick recap is just things we talked about last time were, yeah, motivational gauges. Instead of just a standard fight where we watch numbers tick down with HP, we want to kind of show overall kind of a, kind of a win state for both, for both the protagonist and the antagonist. What they want are not always the same. Uh, so we were thinking, you know, possibly a, a tracker for the antagonist, possibly a, tra- a tracker for the protagonist, and also for the world. Because, you know, if you do enough damage, the world will respond, right? We're also toying around with the idea of gambits. If you are falling behind, uh, if you can think of something high risk, high reward, uh, it is a way to quickly catch up. Again, these are all, uh, you know, under construction, so they, they are subject mm-hmm. to change. Oh boy, will they. Yeah, so with that, the asteroid chasing starts with, well, I'm going to start with VT chasing down Decker in her truck, right? So both her and Decker, somewhere in some space lane somewhere, and Decker sees that she's chasing him, so he probably pulls a gambit at that point, right? So I guess at that point, once we start that this encounter, we start with VT's motivation tracker. Right, she is chasing Decker. Her her goal, if she reaches her goal, hundred percent on whatever this meter is, we have captured Decker. Right? Does that seem reasonable? Yep. Mm-hmm. Decker is also going to have a motivation tracker at this point, and his tracker is escape. Right. So once his tracker hits a hundred, he hits an astral gate, or he creates some blockage. Something happens where now VT and no one else can capture him. Right. Uh, as a difficulty check at this point, I would say they're probably about even. I mean, I guess I, this is okay. Oh, so this will be difficult to figure out over time. I think this is something really we can only figure out through playtesting. Probably is what should these difficulty numbers be? Uh, I imagine when we publish something, we'd have to have some guidance, right? What what balance should it be? Uh, for now, I'll say they're even. Like it, it is an equal chance that VT will capture Decker as Decker will escape. So Decker pulls a move, potentially maybe a skill, probably not a gambit. Uh, he pulls a move where he just tries to swerve away, try to, tries to lose her. Right? Uh, here's an interesting question. Would you consider him entering, what was the the Linus Mines, the abandoned mine? Is that a gambit? Or is that just, hey, I just rolled a nice number? I believe that, I believe it's the latter there. I think that's just a straight... Uh, it, honestly, a hide check versus, you know, just a, this is what I can do. You know, in this scenario, if I was there, you know, obviously you go, people would ask the DM, oh, what's around me? What can I use? What, how, what is the environment? And yeah, so when you have it, you use it, right? Um, I don't think that the, the gambit per se is, it, I, I, again, I'm making, I, I think gambits should really only be in a limited use scenario and it should be, it should be something that's considered incredibly risky. Cause I mean, that yeah. is the name of the game, which is incredibly risky moves that help, that generally help spike, right? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that makes sense, right? They're, they're the big plays. Uh, mm-hmm. This doesn't feel like that big of a play. It's a, it's a regular role, right? Uh, actually, something something I want to rem- uh, I don't remember if we talked about this during podcast or just after last week as well. The idea of what they're rolling well, you know, and just to refresh everybody, uh, what they're rolling are probably low level dice. So at this point, let's assume 
uh, both VT for sure is an experienced trucker, so she's maybe rolling a, a D10, maybe a D8, right, on, on her rolls for trucking, driving. While Decker, I don't know if we got too much of a sense of his skill, but probably close, maybe a little under, maybe a D6. So he rolled a nice, he rolled a nice five, and that's why he got to hide an asteroid, perhaps. Uh, VT was able to match that, so they're still, she's still hot on his tail. Uh, at this point, Decker, I believe, pulls out an explosive, right? He pulls a thing out of his pocket and he throws it behind the truck to try to blow up the asteroid. Yeah, so I think I think that's exactly what it is, right? It's um, uh, basically what we need is to have a sort of resolution there. We, she's probably the VT's has to probably either dodge or possibly, or even honestly, just the the result of the action of the use of explosives. In that case, probably actually starts the world clock or the world gauge. Ooh, yes. Uh, so you briefly mentioned the world gauge this week. We talked about it a little bit last week. Or offline, I think, last week we talked about it. Offline, yeah. The world gauge would be the asteroid collapsing on itself, right? Like, there is now a limited scale, or there is a limit to the amount of time we have to finish this encounter, right? So the world is ticking. That would be, and probably at this point, maybe it's not so dangerous. Interesting. So the idea is that, oh, maybe the world is only rolling a D4 right now. It's a little damaged. But it's not going to do that much damage yet, right? We we roll it. Uh, if we roll a hard four, I, I mean, this is interesting. Maybe if you if you roll that critical, right? You hold, roll that four. Maybe that's what encourages the world to up its dice level as well, right? We uh, a, a fault in a crack somewhere got hit by this explosive, so now the whole thing is starting to collapse, right? Uh, actually, I want to step back one more thing in before we enter the asteroid. Uh, VT actually makes a call to the Bebop and brings in Faye and Spike. That could be... That's probably an action she took as well, right? I think I think maybe one one piece that we need to fill in here... Um, we're, we're, we're talking about a lot what VT does. Um, mm-hmm. One one piece that uh, I think we need to address is what... Wh- when do the turns happen, for, for lack of a term? Mm. Right, so... Uh, okay, so... Decker's choice for their turn is to enter into the abandoned mine. Mm-hmm. Um, then what? Then is it VT's turn to make a choice? Uh, what constitutes a choice? Is the choice mm. going into the asteroid field and speeding up? Or is the choice just choosing to go into the asteroid field? And that's the one thing you get. And the one five second time you get to hold the... Mm-hmm. The, the talking shell, and then you pass it to your <laughs> friend on the right. Um, you know, like what what is what is the anatomy of of, of trading off? You know, I, and I think that's that's important for determining, uh, you know, the, these motivation trackers. Is you know, it doesn't matter how well you roll if you just have more turns to get more dice, you're just going to do better more likely. Right. Um, yeah. The action economy problem. Right. Yeah. So what's 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 our what's our action? What's uh what's our turns? In this, in this scenario. Interesting. So, again, this is something we'll have to play with. The simplest idea, probably, the one that comes to mind immediately is the D&D, right? Is the Dungeons & Dragons initiative tracking, right? Maybe when an encounter starts, everybody, either with some, you know, the help of some skill, I, I don't remember what it is in D&D that 
gives you your bonus for initiative. But some skill plus a roll, that gives you your turn order, right? And then and then we just go one at a time, right? That That's, that's the Dungeons & Dragons model. That's a pretty standard model across a lot of yep. role-playing systems, <laughs> even, yeah, even yeah. non-D&D-like ones. That probably comes all the way from the wargaming history, right? That That's how we track turns. There, there are two flavors that that we could go go through too, and funny you bring up wargaming because there are there are different wargaming tracks to do too. You can do the, the I mean the D and D approach is effectively everyone gets their own turn, but mm-hmm. a lot of times what, how it plays out is all of the individual players get their turns, but when it comes to NPCs, if you're running let's say you're running it an, an unusually large combat encounter, um, mm-hmm. maybe you'll roll all eight of the same at the same time. So that your mm-hmm. you know your initiative tracker isn't you know crazy eighty NPCs yeah <laughs> so you know m- maybe there is a version like that too. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've seen I, I vaguely recall that some games that I've played also have it where the players all get a combined turn. Mm-hmm. It's like instead of and one of the advantages of this I think is that you can plan around like order, mm. right? Where it, this happens in D&D a lot where it's like, yes, I would like to help you by casting guidance, but my turn is last in the order, so you're going to have to do something first, right? There's just because of the way initiative rolled out on this turn, I can't help you yet, right? The held action. Yeah. Yeah, that's true too. Like the that that's what that's there to fix, right? It says, "Hey, I'm going to help you when it's your when it's your turn or <laughs> when it's my turn later." Uh, my fear on that is probably just one of micro planning, right? Which is something I'd like to avoid for this game. I think as much as possible, I'd like, I don't want parties to be sitting and planning and waiting for something to do a lot. So I think we can, we can, we can toy, we can toy with initiative and see if anything, anything comes to us. Okay. So, so I think certainly if we talk, think about individual characters. Uh, Spike is presented as somebody who would usually act before Jet. Mm-hmm. For example. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's inherent to your character, right? <laughs> that your order is always ahead of this person because you have this, like, we, carelessness. We may right? start talking about stats later this episode. Ooh, preview. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, let's, let's, let's say there is an initiative. And mm. let's say that Decker, Decker makes their move and they, they fly into the asteroid field. And that was, that mm. was their move. That was their action. We can talk about what what you know, D and D and Pathfinder and etc. Even they they evolved out of war games. So mm-hmm. you know there there is a you know I have you know action economy. I, I can do this set of thing very specific things. I have this this one this one turn resource. I have the second turn resource. I have this third tor- turn resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're we're trending towards something a little bit more narrative than that. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a battle map for starters. Right. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's you do a thing. Maybe uh, if you can convince hmm. the table that your thing can fit within a, now, right? a specific yeah. set of time. Yeah. yeah. That it might it might only need to be that specific. Yeah, that might that might be light enough or or uh, other way around. It might be rules enough to make sense for the kind of game we're trying to play. Yeah, and there's there's certainly a there's certainly a, a line to walk there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there 
those coming from D and D may you know want to know you know like oh what mm. what elements are my allowed to do or they may try to push it um, as far as they can go and uh, that, that that is something we will have to explore. Yeah, I just think again this is one of those things that we we constantly kind of skirt the question of if we want to be rules heavy or if we want to be rules light. Mm. Um, some people do very well. With uh, rules light, you know, again, just be like, well, here's your action. You can do literally what you can imagine, uh, and we'll roll something vaguely related to that and hope for the best. Uh, alternatively, there is, you know, value in structure. There's value in restriction where, you know, some people really have, you know, kind of that analysis paralysis mm-hmm. where they have too much to do and they'd rather be forced to choose from a small selection, a curated list of you. Right. So again, we have to kind of decide what we want to do with with that per se. Like one of, one of the things I was reading about was how many game designers tend to think, and players probably too, tend to think that rules light is better for casual players. But the argument kind of goes the other way because casual players or newer players don't know what's available. You tell them you can do anything. But what does that actually mean when I'm sitting at the table? Or you do anything and someone says, no, no, not that anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I blow up the orc. No, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I ride I ride the dragon. I, <laughs> I can't speak with animals. Um, You're a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You said anything. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the motivation for us designing this game, right? I still think the target audience would be more casual RPG players. So I think our decision on yeah how rules heavy or rules light we want to be should be guided by that principle, right? We and and that's going to be real hard for the three of us for sure because we are role playing players already. So we will have to do research. We'll have to play test. So initiative system, we decided where each each character gets a slot of time to take an action and then a rotating action window, right? So it's like, hey, you take an action, then I get to take an action, then I get to take an action. Like a round robin. Each of us takes one action is probably let's start from there. Let's start from there for now. Let, let me let me let me throw out spitball this idea here and yeah. let let us presume for a moment that our characters have have a specific set of skills. And let's just throw out a number. Say there are 15 mm. types of skills, maybe part of the part of what a character can do as part of their action wholly has to fit inside that skill envelope okay. for starters. So you can steer space truck into the asteroid, but you can't also reach out the window and shoot your gun out the window in the vacuum of space. Mm. Sure. That puts some restriction um, onto, onto what is available, but then you mm-hmm. open the question of... You may open the question of, okay, my action is I drive my space truck until I get away. <laughs> but in this case, we do have a restrictor on it because I drive my space truck is an action. I roll my dice and that advances the mm-hmm. plot and then it's the next person's turn. Yeah, it's true. Be- because of the motivation tracker, that may be, pre- well, not, not prevents, but it systemizes the until I get away part of that, right? Like that is... Uh, interesting. Interesting. Um, I wonder then, and this may be too complicated. I kind of don't like this idea that I just had, <laughs> but I, I'll voice it. 
this idea that says, hey, I drive my space truck until I get away, and then you roll, and it's a high roll, and maybe your DM is going to say, yeah, but you can't, right? Or, like, the action that you chose to do. I drive my space truck by swerving. This is a bad example. (laughs) I drive my space truck by making large S-turns, right? Like, swerving back and forth. Serpentine, serpentine, right? Sneaky snake. They roll, and maybe they rolled a high number even, but the DM might just say, yeah, but that won't actually help you get away. So I'm going to penalize that in some way. I don't like this idea, but but it's interesting by by giving it up to the dice. Like, you know, you, you propose a bad idea and roll well, and you're still winning, right? Because you rolled well. Well, I would argue, I would argue that players in again and i i'm sorry we always use D, but that's what we're most familiar mm-hmm, with yeah but players in D do the dumbest stuff all the time and if i unless unless you're playing in a setting where realism is paramount yeah you let them do the dumb things <laughs> and you know what hell if they roll that nat 20 reward them you know if they want to yeah. you know if they want to seduce you know the blacksmith for a discount I mean, it's it's a little morally gray, but yeah. <laughs> we got yeah, this. I mean, yeah. All right, fine. But again, it, I guess the question is: Can you weave it into a story? Right? Yes. Like, can you make it interesting? Is your is your weird serpentine thing? You know, maybe you need to describe it a little bit better, or maybe mm-hmm. uh, you're distracting someone so that they crash or something. The my only qualm with what Michael said about how you know. Only let them do things that they are qualified to do. Again, sometimes the the funniest moments are when somebody tries to do something they're not proficient at. I think again, I one of my first characters in D anD D was a low charisma ranger, and he t- kept trying to persuade and intimidate, and he kept failing. Hmm. It was also funny because he was a gnome, but you know it happens. Like you gotta give it to them if they want to try it. And obviously, you do need to punish them when when it fails. They're terribly. overly silly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If they're being overly silly or you know being disruptive, yeah, bring the bad hammer down. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anything is is stopping players from doing things they're not good at. I mean, we've established prior that we have this this minimum threshold, so a player can always do every anything and everything. They just roll a d four. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we have that. I mean, again, unless we introduce the coin flip eventually. <laughs> yeah, like. Oh, this is the coin flip. That's the coin flip. You're doing something and it's bad. You get a one or a two. <laughs> it's only crit fail, crit success. Yeah, <laughs> there is a, there is a version of kind of what we're discussing to for wh- whether something is a good or bad idea. Um, the the pitfall is let's abstract it. Say I want to do thing, and I roll a dice and I get number, and number makes good. Um, mm-hmm. How do you get to that point where doing the thing isn't complete nonsense? You know, maybe uh, mm. you know. W- let's say, um, uh, let's say, I want to do a thing that won't help the situation in any way whatsoever. Let's roll a dice. Um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. in that situation, the DM or the GM goes like, "Hey, go down to the next dice roll." That doesn't make ah. a lot of sense. Or, hey, that's a fantastic idea, and I will reward you by going you up one dice. Right. So that's the the our our advantage disadvantage system essentially, essentially is you yeah are punished or rewarded. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Like you are you are discouraged from doing things that don't make any sense. Yeah. You know, to, to try to avoid having it devolve into, uh, I don't care. I'm just gonna roll dice. 
<laughs> which yeah. yeah if you're getting to that point maybe that's maybe that's a discussion you need to have with your table but <laughs> right yeah we have not talked about yeah party selection or like table safety tools or any of that yet but we should at some point probably <laughs> um, so yeah i mean so that's cool we, we we came up with several mechanics in this yeah. session um we have an initiative tracker we have a a a, a limit in our motivation trackers for the drive my space truck until I get away problem. Mm. Um, we have, uh, I don't know if we want to come up with a term for it, but good versus bad idea, um, <laughs> up and downers. Uh, I'm worried that we're going to be overusing tempo too much. Uh, well, so in, in uh, tempo is kind of the way I've been thinking of it. When your dice get bigger, the tempo gets faster. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the way I want that up, feeling up to tempo. be. Yeah, so we upped the tempo, we lowered the tempo. Is there another word right. for tempo when it goes down? <laughs> uh, untempo. No, that's not a word. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll Google that later. <laughs> uh, slow downissimo. I don't know. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, accelerando and deaccelerando, I think, are the two, which is not quite right. <laughs> so we have, uh, I'll just call it sensibility of choice <laughs> of, of action. One action. And actions contained within skill envelope. Your your character's packet of skills. Ah, right? Your your that's that's set of that's skills. not quite what I mean. I mean if we have oh. if we have if there are if there are a set of skills in the game. Oh, I may, may, maybe oh, maybe this okay. is where the misunderstanding came from. If you have a I set see. of skills in the game, if there is a shoot, if there is a drive, mm-hmm. if there is a talk, that is the skill envelope ah. talk. Okay. This yeah. is the I, that, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I yeah. can drive. Drive is the skill envelope. That's your action this that turn then, action. because that exists in the envelope. You do the drive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So again, comparing to Dungeons and Dragons, right? Dungeons and Dragons has the action, the bonus action, the reaction, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so far, we and only have movement. action, which might be what was the last one? Movement and movement. Yes. You know, and free yeah. action. And free I action. <laughs> You get right. one free so action. This is just, it doesn't make sense. This is just reinforcing my point. <laughs> Too many things. <laughs> I, I, I like right now that we just have action and hopefully well, we'll see how this goes. I think I think if we can keep it that way, simpler, you do one of these things. That might be that might be the right way. My my only concern really is that uh, some actions become kind of a catalyst for bigger and bigger issues so i think about i think about how decker you know he in his attempt to escape explodes tunnels explodes half of that mine uh and that pivotally that pivotally shifts the rest of the encounter no longer is it uh captured decker it's get out alive Mm -hmm. you know with that like does it do the do the meters change or do I mean in in his case the meter is gone. <laughs> yeah. He is no longer part of the encounter. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's you versus the world, which is a whole different story. But sometimes people will make a decision and make a or make an action that will change the entire encounter, and it's right. kind of yeah. a little weird when that's given the same weight as your I I I follow the guy kind of action. You know, right? It's uh it's a rhapsody at that point. So rhapsody is several musical pieces kind of Frankenstein together into one. Like, sure. we've shifted to the second piece here, right? Like, Decker's dead. He he bottomed out. He bottomed out hard, right? 
So now it's time for the second act, which is, it's just you versus the world. Uh, at that stage, I suppose it's just players versus, well, it's always players versus the yeah. DM, right? But, well, it's players versus <laughs> but the world still, right? Like, yeah. Like, I think, I think we introduced the world tracker partway through. Yeah, that's true. So the, I, I don't think our motivation trackers changed. I just think the pressing one, we lost one. The other one is still there. Right. And that one's accelerating. Like maybe, maybe when the encounter started, right? There was a world tracker. It was rolling a D4 every turn, and it had a high number. And it was just, oh, other, other people are coming. Other bounty hunters hear the information and are approaching, right? Complicating the deal. And now the world tracker is, you know, it's still the same tracker. It's just been building up slowly. But instead, it is now a much more pressing. Instead of a D4, we're rolling that, you know, we're rolling that D10. We're rolling a D12 that's saying, hey, you got to get out of here because everything is exploding. <laughs> you just need to figure something out. And that's, let's play with that, too, as an idea, too. You know, we're talking about, well, I think, I think we were talking off air, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh, do our characters have health? Like, They've, they've mm -hmm. clearly gotten beat up and damaged. But, uh, you know, let's say, you know, this, this wor we have this world tracker and the asteroid's blowing up. Maybe the asteroid blowing up and advancing its world tracker is just an abstraction of bodily damage to everyone on the crew. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like a shared HP at that point, almost. After a fashion, yeah. Right, when... yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you are the boss. You're the boss. It's very the world is fighting you. <laughs> it's very abstract. It can it can be what the it can be what the the plot needs it to be in mm -hmm. that in that time. You know, if you know, y y I think you nailed it. You know, this doesn't have to be an asteroid. This could be an asteroid field, and the world tracker is bounty hunters catching on and chasing you. Yeah, interesting. I like that flexibility. I think that's that's pretty cool. And complications. Complications can still happen, so it doesn't have to just be, you know, the bar goes up, the bar goes up. It could be uh, the bar goes up, and now your ship got blown to pieces, so now you don't have that resource anymore. Right, yeah. And, and then, like, mid between session problems as well of, like, oh, how what does this count towards bottoming out? How do you how do you deal with this as a character now from the in the future? Right, you're you're dealing with these scars as well. I think something we talked about a couple episodes ago, right? Interesting. I guess let let's finish out this encounter, right? So, in the show, they are trapped inside this asteroid. They start pulling. I, th I think we can consider it's definitely Spike's floating trick. That's a gambit, hundred percent. Right? I think we all agree that is a maneuver that is beyond extreme. Right? That is a gutsy play. We can probably find out, and this this might be a, a, a useful exercise, when we dive into gambits and whatever we eventually actually call them, because uh, we've been searching for a name for weeks now, uh, when we dive into gambits specifically, we should probably go through every episode and find the one gambit. I'm, I'm positive there is one gambit <laughs> at least in every episode, right? The coolest move. Yeah. You can think of a few already. <laughs> right? Yeah, you, you can picture them. They're the ones that stand out for a decade, right? <laughs> uh, Spike. Oh, I do want to put in a, a health and safety warning at this point, too. Spike's floating trick is incorrect. If you ever find yourself needing to go out into the vacuum of space, do not inhale the air. Instead, exhale your air before you step out into the black. The reasoning is that since you're going from a high-pressure zone to a low-pressure zone... 
the air will be forced out of your lungs and do a lot of damage on the way out. So make sure your lungs are as empty as possible. Just in case. Or, you know, don't leave your spaceship. Well, that's rule number one, but who follows the or rules? Or just don't go to space. Space <laughs> is not for people. <laughs> uh, so Spike does his floating trick. That's a gambit. What is the effect of that gambit? What changes to the world trackers? What changes to everyone else's actions at this point? What do we think? So that's the argue, the question I was having is, is this just Spike's gambit or is this also Faye's gambit? Because, or it, I guess in the game we're playing, is it the party's gambit? Maybe it needs to be a combined effort uh, for those involved. Because if Faye fails, so, I mean, it doesn't matter what Spike does. Mm, that's true. And that's the, that's the thing I'm wondering about. Inherently, in this case, uh, you know, Faye, in terms of dice, probably rolled kind of a middling number. Mm-hmm. Uh, she managed to do it in time, but not particularly gracefully. She does bump one of the explosives. True. Um, yeah. And then Spike, that's the, the thing, again, another one is where Spike does not <laughs> succeed in getting to where he wants to go, but... Are you, you know, does, he gambit, a, does that was that a gambit again, right? When he's doing his energy yeah. gunplay, right? Yeah, that's the question. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So it reminds me of uh, I was talking with another friend who I hope to get on the show at some point about just a little bit. Of, this was in the very, very early days of discussing this podcast. And something he brought up was the idea of team cohesion. That was something that he wanted to talk about in in his memory of Cowboy Bebop. And that might be how gambits play with team cohesion. This idea that, yeah, your gambit is kind of the way I'm picturing it right now is like passing the ball, right? I'm going to throw you the ball and you have to catch it. And the ball is also a bomb. So you have to toss it again, right? It's it's like this idea that you're, you have to accelerate. You have to keep things going. What was being gambled? Mm. What are we, what, what is Spike gambling? Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, what is the, the, the gambits are high risk, high reward. So maybe part of a gambit is what are you risking? And you have to define mm. this is the risk. This is what I'm this is what I'm putting on the table. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm glad we talked about gambling earlier, because I think that's exactly what this play should that's be. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. You it is as a player, when you're making a gambit, you're telling the DM, hey, I'm risking this. This is what. I'm risking my ship, right? Like Spike's pod is gone, yep. right? I'm risking all of our all of our ships, really, at this point, right? In in the show, uh, I'm risking my own health, right? I'm mis- I'm risking bottoming out my body, right? Uh, I might need robot lungs next week, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and the, the rest of the party kind of has to agree to some of it, right? Or I mean, that's an interesting point, right? Does does the party have to agree to your gambit? I don't think Faye agreed to this gambit. I don't think so at all. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Jet regularly agrees to any gambits. <laughs> Poor Jet this week. Poor Jet. It's quite impressive that uh, Jet can fix two zipcrafts in what appear to be a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't fix them all the way though. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe there's, and I think we'll need to explore this more on another week. Uh, you know. What what does uh, uh, the the gambling portion of the gambit look like? Is it is it like for like? Is it you know what what if you know let's uh what if the gamble uh, what if the risk isn't very high and you're trying to do a very 
you're trying to do a high reward. You're trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, maybe, maybe that's part of it. So like, okay, so we have a gamble. We have a risk. We have a risk. Mm-hmm. And then we have the reward. What is the reward? Is the reward, I think we've discussed it as a motivation tracker acceleration. Mm-hmm. So what does... So what does this look like? So how do we how do we exchange risk right. for reward? I don't remember if it was on I think it was a little bit during last week's podcast where we talked about gambits upping your dice, mm-hmm. right? Increasing the tempo, I guess in today in this week's verbiage. And maybe that's like the most basic kind of gamble. Right? And that you know, you have to put something up in order to get that dice roll higher. I, I will I will counter that we have we have other ways to raise that mm. to raise that dice and I don't think raising the dice would sufficiently bridge the gap um, because right. if you're behind by but let, let's just say there's two tracks out of 100 if you're behind by 40 upping your d8 to a d10 is not gonna help <laughs> no. <laughs> And at mm-hmm. yeah, and at that point, um, we start we start to get into very, you know, again we're talking about the structure or lack of structure. We start to get into very arbitrary range. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what what is the value of the thing that you're risking? And when we when we start doing that, we're like, okay, well everything's got to have a value now. And, a, and an exchange ah, yeah. rate, and I, I don't know. <laughs> it, uh, uh, that, that is a path. That is a direction. Yes, yeah. One of the... Uh, we haven't talked about it too much in the podcast, but I've been thinking about it too, is that the target audience of our game should also be game masters. Mm-hmm. right? A well-written rule book for a game master is the way it gets to, gets to the table, right? <laughs> So if we're making game masters have to keep keep referencing some like arbitrary value at, that your players are gambling with or against, uh, that might be too that might be too noodly, right? That might be too like uh, today we're going to do some math with friends. Here right? here is a proposal. <laughs> here is a proposal mm-hmm. that fits. If you pull a gambit. And we can play with this. If you pull a if if you're mm-hmm. um, if you pull a gambit, a gambit is an action. You are doing a you are doing a skill. Mm-hmm. If you're successful, you get the full value of that dice that you're currently on. Ooh. Or the maybe, next step, and, up. and or maybe next level right, up is what right, I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, it's like hey, it's it's big. And right. what you gamble is. Um, yeah, and then and then how, how do you how do you uh, make sure that the value is acceptable? Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think I think that's the arbitrary part that we'll we'll, we'll have to yeah. work with. But but that that might be more fun to have be arbitrary. Like maybe it's always some sort of narrative loss, right? It is almost forcing your characters to become more interesting by gambling. <laughs> <laughs> what what are we are we gonna have to put a a, a, a note at the bottom of of each of our page, like if you have a gambling addiction, call this hotline. <laughs> we might have to, yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I guess my my then my comment on that is so it's only success or failure. There is no mixed success. I don't. Or, I mean, it doesn't. Ha- I mean, it, again, it it can, it cannot be, but we got to make that decision. Yeah, with a gambit, 
Because that's the thing. Like, if I'm on my D12 for my gambit, right, what do you have to do? You have to what do you have to do in order to succeed in this gambit? I, I, that's something we, we we talked around that entirely, right? What is success on that gambit? Is it rolling the 12? Because that's hard. Oh, hmm. I I don't think we've defined what what success is in general. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true we, too. We've, yeah, <laughs> we've we've defined not really. We've defined success as a high value. Uh, mm. um, Per, uh, adding to a number um yeah so m- maybe it's uh maybe it's a range so maybe yeah. m- uh maybe um and this is just a proposal maybe the more you gamble the higher your success range becomes ah interesting maybe it's part of your character skills which we're probably not going to talk about today well that that, that <laughs> is the skill right like if your yeah. character is rolling a d12, they're at the 12th level of skill. Mm. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, we're about out of time for this week. Uh, yeah, this was cool. This was a cool dive. I, I very much like this new section we talked about this time. Uh, do you guys have any other notes about this episode that we might have missed? Driving around your space truck with a giant dragon trying to be incognito, not a good idea. <laughs> not a wise choice for a, someone trying to stay under the radar. Yeah, what was Decker doing? He's a, he's moving high explosives and he's worth 12 million wulongs and he's the... I guess nobody knew what he looked like, so that's what he tried to get away with. <laughs> The world, the world may never know. Here's here's one quote that I really liked. Uh, What's the worst that can happen? Screw up and we all die. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that really should just be the tagline for the. <laughs> oh my god, it is. <laughs> oh, that's really good. And the last one is I got a thing for eels, right? <laughs> oh, poor eel boy. <laughs> he just loved eels. All right. With that, uh, next week we're talking about uh, an episode that was that they said in the preview is very unlike Bebop, Waltz for Venus. I believe that's episode eight. So with that, we'll see you all next week. See you next see week. See you, Space Cowboy. Yeah, you beat me to it. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. Oh, I just lost it. Hold on. (laughs) The... shoot. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) This is the first time that's happened. Yeah, interesting. We're going to edit all this out. That's fine. Uh, The... We'll fix it in post. Yeah. Yeah, it's gone. Oh, well, it's fine. (laughs) We carry on.